Hi, this is Joe Kwan, the Connection Counselor, and thank you for listening to Executive Presence Morsels. Today's bonus episode is brought to you by our sponsors. The truth is, it's not easy coming up with content for a daily podcast like Executive Presence Morsels. One way I keep things fresh is by constantly learning from others. An easy and convenient way to do this is through audiobooks, and the Rolls-Royce of audiobooks is Audible. Today, our listeners can try a free 30-day trial of Audible Premium Plus, which gives you credits for up to two premium titles of your choosing, access to the Audible Plus catalog of podcasts, audiobooks, guided wellness, and Audible Originals. It's a buffet and no credits needed. And a friendly email reminder before your trial ends. Go to www.connectioncounselor.com slash bookme to sign up. And while you're there, check out my latest book reviews. Thank you for supporting our show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Executive Presence Morsels collab series, where together we find out how different disciplines and executive presence go together. I'm Joe Kwan, your host, and today we are honored to have with us Shari Foos, who's a marriage and family therapist, adjunct professor, writer, and improvisational artist. After 20 years of private practice, she wanted to address the growing isolation and need for real connection in an increasingly technological world. While one-on-one therapy and counseling offer profound help, only groups can provide the sense of empowerment and belonging within a family or community. So in 2013, she founded The Narrative Method, a 501c3 with the mission to create group programs in which participants could see themselves in each other's stories, increasing empathy and mutual understanding. The effectiveness of hundreds of transformative workshops with at-risk populations, including veterans, youth, and disenfranchised women, was proven in a study by California State North Ridge. Well, welcome, Shari, to Executive Presence Morsels. So delighted to have you as our first guest of 2022. Yay, I'm very proud to represent the year. Great. Now, as I was um, learning a little bit more about you and your work and what you do, the the term that kept on coming up was relational mindfulness. Maybe that's a good place to start if you could just sort of take us at a high level, you know, what that is and why it's so important. Sure. Well, you know, we've talked a lot in the last couple of decades about mindfulness and meditation and yoga and all of these really beautiful and important practices to maintain awareness and to be centered, but they're for me. Relational mindfulness is for us. And um, particularly when we're working with a group of people or living with a group of people or doing a project, when we can put ourselves aside and work 
um, with awareness of other people's needs and feelings, as well as being able to really build on their ideas, um, we can create something far more wonderful than what we could possibly do on our own. But more importantly, it is in this cooperation that we feel human. The pandemic has taught us that uh, we don't do well when we're isolated. Mm -hmm. And that sense of somebody getting us, of your knowing me and appreciating it from my perspective, rather than just looking at it within the frame of your own experience, that feeling, which doesn't fix one problem, is the most humanly gratifying feeling. Because if you don't understand me, if you don't know me, how can you love me? And if we can't be loved, we, we just don't thrive. So this is all to be said in the positive that in ways to connect um, that are inherently human, we can change our lives and, and change the world. So what you just shared resonates with me so much. And let me share with you um, a conversation I actually had earlier today. Um, and we just love to get your take on it. So um, was talking to someone and we were talking about kind of the value that we each provide as, as uh, professionals, as human beings beyond like the job description. Right. And then um, a, a friend of mine related what happened to them recently was they were talking to someone in their group and the person just sounded so like downtrodden. Right. Mm -hmm. And then all my friend did was say like a couple words of appreciation, right? Like they sensed that this person needed a little bit of encouragement or appreciation and they delivered that. And my friend said the, the, the coworker of theirs just lit up. Like it was like the sun was shining and they appreciated so much. And it was kind of sad. We were like thinking like this person probably doesn't get that much in the environment, or let's just limit it to work, right? I don't know them, um, but in the work environment they're at such that like one person just saying a couple kind words can like be like rays of sunshine. I mean, is this the sort of thing that, that you're kind of um, referencing? What do you think? Absolutely. First of all, you know, I don't even think it has to be a matter of this person doesn't generally get that. We all have, you know, these feelings that are part of the human condition and loneliness and alienation is one of them. We all have it. You may not be suffering from it in a debilitating way, and it may not be an omnipresent factor in your life, but feeling that alienation for, for that individual, whether it was something that had happened earlier or that was his general work experience, it's so mind-blowing how easy this stuff is. It mm -hmm. doesn't take a lot. Mm -hmm. because if you've ever just shared with somebody that you trusted, you know, this is going on in this and this and this. I mean, it's complicated, but no one has to fix it. It's that feeling that it makes sense to someone that, uh, well, of course you're confused. Of course you're depressed. Of course you're overwhelmed. Whatever that is, it's as though hearing that is so soothing in a biological way that it sort of clears the space and mm -hmm. allows you to tolerate what's in front of you. But when you just keep having more and more, as we do all the time, this information piling up, piling up, assaulting us, then you, you can't think straight because you can't separate out your ideas. 
You know, I, I wonder as well, <clears throat> excuse me, in this age of COVID, let's say you're um, the type of person who uh, lives alone, right? And a lot of your interaction was through going out and, you know, at work or other things that you do, social activities, and that's been severely curtailed, right? So your existence has been impacted maybe in a different way than someone who's, you know, isolating with their family or, you know, you have a large sort of family inside your house. Um, what have you seen or what do you perceive as some of the impacts due to the sort of forced increased isolation that, that, that we've been experiencing as a, as a world, as a community, as a nation lately? I think it's been so hard. And, you know, ironically, it's the one thing all of us in this divided world can relate to and say without personal shame mm -hmm this experience of the pandemic and the isolation it's caused has been really difficult and really painful. A lot of times we don't like to be vulnerable because we don't want to show our personal weakness, but this is no one's personal weakness. And to see what has happened with people who do live alone, especially if they don't even have a pet or there, there really is no other interaction day to day with people. I mean, thank God we have Zooms. We offer three free Zooms to the public a week, and it has really been an anchor for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. so I think it, it just forces us to admit that unless you are really self-driven and you have uh, projects that you're working on and your focus is really not an issue, then it's easier to get through those things because you're occupied and, and you feel like you're doing something that's purposeful. But if you are more of an extroverted person, meaning psychologically speaking, that you depend on other people to get your energy, then we have come to a point now after two years where it is clear people need productive ways to reach out online, on the phone, what, whatever it takes. Um, and again, it's not ideal, but it is good enough. We can maintain um, our sanity and sense of connection with people just by, by reaching out in these other ways. Yeah. I mean, thank goodness for some of the additional technologies we, we do have to enable it that weren't available maybe 10, 15 years ago. Um, another thing I find pretty interesting, uh, about the work that you're doing is this sense of, um, and my interest from it stems like from the DEI, you know, the diversity and inclusion space, but this, this sense of, transforming and understanding through interacting in groups. And, and I've always just thought intuitively that like a lot of what DEI gets wrong is, you know, to train someone and tell them what they should think and feel is not the same as experiencing and transforming yourself. Maybe you could talk to us a little bit about your work in that area, because I find it pretty fascinating. I'm a thousand percent on the same page as you. I think what happens sometimes in the, in the most well-intentioned um sessions is that just like you're saying people are being told do this don't do that and it just has um an effect the first of all it takes you back to being juvenile and we often have a rebellious you know like, tell me what to do even if you're going along with it there's some part inside you know uh so so there's that but rather than talking about it if you provide an experience where you trust people that they know how to be human, our only rule is mutual respect. 
and confidentiality, and you invite people to be human, it is 100% mind-boggling every time you speak with someone who you would not otherwise have met or you're not particularly you know, attracted to meet. And there they are saying something that is so connective for you or might even be the way you feel about something. The power of a group is that one-on-one, if somebody understands you and you have that beautiful feeling together, it's undeniable and it's essential for humans to thrive. But it's also essential to feel like you're allowed to be who you are and that when you see that other people do some of these things to yourself, to themselves, that you've judged yourself for. For example, I'm going to tell you something right now, and if this doesn't make you feel better, I don't know what will. While you're going around throughout your day, periodically noticing that you say things to yourself like, oh, I did the fucking, never did the, everybody does that all yeah. the time. Nobody is developed beyond that. And which is to say, obviously, people do uh, things like that to different extents. But this is a tendency that was taught to us by a very dysfunctional culture. And it can only stick to us if we're already on board with the idea of winning and losing, good and bad, better and worst. Because otherwise, making mistakes might be disappointing or it might delay us getting to where we want to go. But it's also interesting. Like, well, what caused that derailment? Or what did I just learn that can prevent it in the future? So it's very much a mindset to appreciate that, um, you know, while it is important to address people in a way that they feel known and respected, it's not that hard to say to someone, I'm sorry, I'm not sure how you prefer to be addressed. Mm. Rather than um, if someone makes a mistake, unless somebody is being malicious, can't we just tell them? Do we have to cancel them? Do you have to like lose your life and your job and all your credibility because you misspoke? Again, um, there's someone at the door. Don't worry, I can edit this. Okay, so sorry about that. No worries. Um, Well, that's kind of a good example. So somebody just rang the bell and uh, disrupted what we're doing here. And depending on your mood or how stressed out you are, it would be really easy to get mad at that guy. Like, what is he doing? Guess what? That guy has his own set of thoughts and things that he has to do. He didn't wake up to wreck my day. Right. But there are times because it is a very stressful life because we are so inundated with more information than we can process that we forget that people's intentions are not necessarily cruel. And every time you can spare somebody the humiliation of, you know, a correction, whether it's the way they're referring to your group or to individually or a personal attribute, whatever, make the correction. Because if you can remember what it felt like when somebody spared you, it's really appreciated. Yeah. And, and you know, as you're sharing this, uh, and a lot of it's resonating with me, I, I'm thinking about it uh, from a leadership perspective, when someone with 
good intention comes to their boss or higher ups and says, look, I totally messed this thing up, right? And like what the difference can be between a leader who can stay calm, can be compassionate. And, you know, of course, they may be upset because money's going to be lost or there's a problem, but they don't in a way like, you know, take it out on the person like they're a bad person. They're more solution based. And the impact on the loyalty, the ability to join in the problem solving of that person who's come in good faith, you know, basically skewering themselves saying, you know, Um, and you see a lot of different leaders go different ways with that. And, and I think the one who's able to stay calm and be more solution oriented, I hate to say it, but I think that's rarer in this world than the one who, who can handle it with a little bit more grace and compassion, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And I would even extend this whole, uh, trend of thought to the leader who acted impulsively. So the goal in life isn't to be perfect. We can't do that. Mm -hmm. But we can catch ourselves as soon as possible and make a correction. And what we see time and again is if that leader could have gone to that person and separately to anyone who witnessed it and said, you know something? Uh, My reaction was so unfair. Here you were coming forward. Mm-hmm. So generously, so courageously, and I jumped on you. I apologize, and I want you to know how much I appreciate your integrity and the work you've been doing, and blah, 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 blah. So, right, right. so to allow that to bond the two of you in a way that is deeper than it would have been before, maybe it ultimately leads to a conversation where the leader winds up sharing with the other person, you know. Um, I had this experience and that experience, and I believe that that makes me get afraid when I hear that something went wrong. Whatever your truth is, if you give people a human context that we can identify with each other, mm-hmm. problems are just problems. Yeah. Process is the answer. Well, let, let me run something by you, right? Um, So what I have noticed is when we start to connect with people in different ways, um, their perception of us can change, right? It doesn't happen because of how we think we are, how we think the world should be. And so I want to ask you specifically, um, because when we were talking about um, the groups and the experience and and diversity, um, one common problem Uh, that you'll see anywhere in any organization is the top layer of the organization is not going to be very diverse, right? Just kind of that's where we are historically. That's where it is. Not for right or wrong. That's what it is, right? I'm going with wrong. (laughs) Yeah. So um, what thing that I've been thinking about lately and and, and would love to get your take on this because it kind of touches up on some of your work is telling executives that other diverse groups have a lot to offer and that more diverse boards create profits sounds too much like what we were talking about with the bad training, right? Yeah. So so what I've been thinking about a lot lately is how do you create experiences where management can experience the excellence of 
these other candidates that they may not know that well or may not resonate with because you don't come from my town, you didn't go to my alma mater, you don't have the same family background. How do we create those experiences so that organically starts to shift their perspective and say, you know what, never really saw Jerome that way, but now, oh my gosh, he would make a great addition to the C-suite. I, I love the question and, and I, I love where you're going because this is how you can make, um, make people expand their thinking. For example, we offer something in companies. This is not necessarily going to speak to um, how you would find someone outside of your company, mm-hmm. but it's a matter of building a habit of seeing people in different ways. So it's very human, very animal to be attracted to similar kinds, right? Yeah. We've seen experiments with rats where black rats growing up with white rats will favor white rats. And, and you know, it, it's just we're a little bit better than rats, but not that much better. And so we are always having to overcome some of these animal instincts. So it's not something that you should need to be blaming yourself about. Uh, It's just not productive. It's more about how do I get myself in a frame of mind of curiosity. Mm -hmm. So we offer something uh, for companies called the 12 minute connection. And over the course of time, however long they want to take, every individual has a one-on-one with every other individual in the organization. And this has a huge impact in a lot of ways. First of all, how can it not? When you hear someone's story and realize, wow, first of all, I never would have survived half of that. Or that is so fascinating because I'm interested in this and that, and I wouldn't have expected this person to hold it. It also will show someone who maybe the CEO and you know maybe it's been a long time since they worked in the mailroom, but suddenly you are exposed to the brilliance of every person mm-hmm. and the, the unique stories that each person has enlighten us in terms of who they are, how to appreciate them, and also how to understand the world better. Because the world doesn't just simply exist with people that I can relate to easily the world is in such a state right now where if we don't tap into every brain, I don't know how we're going to solve the problems. So I think providing positive, beautiful, inspiring experiences where people get to see themselves in diverse others is one of the greatest gifts. It's the reason we like to travel. It's the reason we like to learn. We want to see Where do these things that I feel passionate about, these ideas about the world or this food or a culture, where do these things exist in other ways? And that is the great gift of meeting different people and being able to tap into each other's strengths. What I love, Shari, about that that mechanism that that your organization has come up with, um, when you were talking about it, it it led me to think back on an experience I had in a former role. It really, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It really democratized access. Yeah. Right. Cause Absolutely. for most of my career, you know, I'm a pretty standard 
corporate company's dream. I just do the work I'm told. I stick my head down. I, I'm productive, right? I don't make a lot of problems for people, right? They love that. However, if you're just sitting at your desk, nobody knows you. No one knows what you're doing. You're not talking to anyone. And, and one thing that I noticed was I started a new job and I happened to sit. My department was on the fourth floor. The floor was, um, building was four floors. And guess what? It was the executive floor. So now when I go to the restroom, I might run into the CEO mm -hmm. in the hallway, in the coffee room. I might run into the chief financial officer. My boss, the chief legal, legal officer was 50 feet away from me. I have access to the C-suite, like literally. Now, how much better is that for my career that I can share a quick story over a donut or a coffee or something like that or say, hey, why don't we grab tea sometime versus someone else who's maybe in a different office it's going to be really hard for them to get that same access. So now they can start to see me differently because I can have those conversations. So curious to get your perspective, um, how people maybe who don't have the physical access, right? Because that was just sort of luck for me, right? Like I didn't demand to sit there. It was just, you know, serendipitous. Um, how have you seen people kind of leverage the ability to connect with people, even if it's not obvious how they might do it? Well, I think the first thing is to, you know, admit what's real. So that is by design, not because the people who own that company, uh, you know, are evil, but the way we have organized businesses in the past worked for a really long time. And now we're seeing with great resignation that employees have very different ideas about what they want from a company. And it's not just money. Mm -hmm. So people want purpose. People want a company that um, they can feel good about. And in terms of getting that access, here's why it's so complicated. It's not just a matter of a different floor. It's mm. a matter of being invisible mm. or being visible. And the impact of knowing I'm on the first floor. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, the, the first line that anyone comes in, they see me. I'm the receptionist. Uh, they have a lot of ideas. Like uh, they think I didn't go to college. I don't have any ambition. I'm, just, you know, whatever people may project. Mm -hmm. Well, I also know of myself as broader than that because I have a life. I have a family. I have friends. I have interests. I do this or that. And now I have a really good idea for this company. Mm -hmm. um, but never really being invited into the more intellectual yeah. uh, conversation and maybe the emotional impact for my life with that. Like, who do I think I am? Talk about those thoughts that keep coming up. Who do you think you mm -hmm. are? What? Oh yeah. He's going to go make time and listen to you. So it takes huge ingenuity. And it's not easy. And not everybody has a personality or falls into the ideal circumstances to create a sense of entitlement to pitch my idea to you. Mm -hmm. And I think everything that we can do to make a business function more as a healthy family, lots of people have unhealthy families. So I'm not saying that, but the idea of Understanding that as a group, we will thrive in our business and as individuals when we feel this togetherness, this encouragement, the 
idea that growing is not just what everybody on the fourth floor can think of. You've got geniuses everywhere. You know, Greta Thunberg is, you know, so young. And here is this mind and this presence with personal agency that is sitting down for nobody. So we want to create an ambiance in our offices that invites people and um, sort of uh, honors that everyone has their own unique set of skills and talents and intelligence. And whereas I don't want to have an open door policy, I'm the boss, I'm busy, I want to get things done. But we will institute a way, a, a very simple way for you to go online, state what the subject is, and make an appointment, something like that. But when you start doing simple things like that, or what I was describing earlier with the 12-minute connection where everyone meets everyone, if you've ever worked on a campus or a big company where you see somebody every day and you, know, you see them and you think like, oh, interesting but you would never say hi to them because you don't feel entitled because you weren't formally introduced. These are some of the ridiculous things. Now, if you've ever seen that person outside in another context, you're traveling and there they are. Now they're, they're your new best friend. Of course you talk to them. We need to start finding simple human ways to break down those insecurities and those barriers that limit what ever great things can come from the connections that can be made with other people working at our company. Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing something very powerful in what you're sharing here, Shari, in terms of that concept of a, of a healthy family. Um, and two examples that came into my mind is, you know, when you're talking about healthy family, it's, it's more your sense of your state of being. It's not so much the skills that you have or how fast you can run. And, you know, I'm not a huge sports metaphor analogy guy, but like something that came popped into my mind is, you know, that Olympic NBA basketball team who lost in the Olympics, right? Like the best players in the world, bar none, but they were totally unhealthy from a mental state, being able to play with each other, get along, pass the ball, everyone's showing off versus um, the, the miracle, I don't know, it was the 1984, like US collegiate team that, that beat the Russians that were supposed to crush them because they were forged into this team that relied on each other by their coach and the community. And they were able to do sort of the impossible. And I see that at work, right? If you can create this healthy environment where everyone feels like they're part of it, they can contribute, they can speak up, they won't be shamed or rejected or condemned for coming up with what may be a silly idea. Maybe it is, maybe it's the best idea, but we're not going to find out right away. <laughs> you can't, you, you can't overstate the importance of that. And also ask yourself, anyone, even if you're in um, a very high position at your job, what percentage of your talent and mind does your job require? And I think most people would say, I've got a lot of stuff left over. It doesn't mean that every job is going to need all parts of your skill set. But typically, there could be more. And the more we do use, the more we enjoy the experience, because the more it reflects what we're passionate about. So it's not it's not brain science. And that's the good news. So um, would like to touch on something that maybe a lot of people are thinking, but they don't always say, 
right? So a lot of people, when I talk to them about these concepts about emotions and feelings at work, you're going to get a huge subset of people that are like, that doesn't matter. Just do the work, KPIs, numbers, whatever, feelings, get out of here. It just distracts us, right? So tell me a little bit about how being more relationally mindful can actually contribute to people wanting to follow you and seeing you as a leader rather than seeing you as this wishy-washy, always talking about their feelings, weak type kind of person. I don't buy into that, but I know a lot of people like that's their perspective and framework. So just curious to get your insights from the people that you've worked with and what you've seen. I think it's a lot easier if you're the leader, you know, Mm -hmm. because you're you're setting the pace. Um, But look, there are people who are so afraid of their complex feelings and their insecurities that they can't easily get beyond it. But I think I would say the same thing in response to the idea of teaching DE&I. It's the same thing. You don't need to push people. Whenever um, I have a group and we're going around and people are sharing their story or sharing something else, I never make it mandatory. Why? If anything, I want to teach people to be so aware of their feelings that if they don't feel safe with something, that they don't say it. Mm-hmm. So it, it's really a matter of honoring that perspective and saying, thank you for sharing that with me. Now, you know, I know how you feel about it. Um, because if that person's going to come along and open up, it's not going to be because they're told to do so. And when you try and imagine what are those blockages that occur between, you know, the open person that that individual was born as and the defensive person they are now, uh, somebody yelled at them a lot about winning and it, it stuck. And I believe even if they never get to it in their entire life, they would be benefited for being able to take a step back and say, you know what, I'm more than what I produce. Uh, or the money that I'm making. I am a being with um, all kinds of desires that don't get paid off in uh, the world of of business or finance. But we're all on our our paths. And I think it's just really important to respect people's need to go at their own pace. And sometimes that pace is zero. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to share with you an interesting conversation I had with a friend recently where I was encouraging them to maybe share a little bit more personal about themselves because they're so, for lack of a better word, they're so clinical in their approach to how they show up at work. You know, everything's like cut and dry, everything's so perfectly squared off and there's almost no like flavor or personality and what I was trying to get across was, you know, if, if you're just like everyone else, if there's nothing about you that's different or unique, then you almost are nobody, not like you're a nobody, but like you're not memorable, right? Because there's nothing to hang sort of that experience of you on. Nothing to relate to. Yeah. And, and their response back to me was, well, I thought that this is the way we were supposed to be. Mm. And she's right. A lot of people have been brought up and trained, look. It's just business. We don't talk about personal stuff. I'm not even at the at the level of feelings yet. Like we don't even want to hear that. Like you you have a hang now, right? Like forget about feelings. Like and you don't go tell them. <laughs> you know it depends. 
you know, we have to really accept the fact we've been brought up in lots of different subcultures and within the subcultures, the subculture of your particular family's values and beliefs. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes when people are invited to step away from that, they very quickly do and, and feel amazing, but it's like anything else that fear is intending to protect you. It doesn't know that it's not really dangerous in most cases. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny how a lot of times we can make it so personalized, like our own systems and reactions, but like you said, it's, it's just how it's come to develop it. There's no good or bad in like consciously of it. (laughs) Exactly. We are a little machine-like in that sense, but you know, that's our challenge to take these automatic responses that are the animal, right? That are perfectly well-suited for humanity, but then to temper them with what we know, not just in our minds, but in our hearts. Every, everyone has been a child. Everyone has been a child whose feelings were hurt. If you can just connect to that when you're in front of someone who has done something wrong and invite them to tell you from their perspective what happened. Now, depending on circumstances, people may or may not come forward with with total um, honesty. But the fact that you're interested in how it is for them Mm -hmm. makes it easier for them to get past their own defensiveness and maybe even accept, yeah, you know what? I, I went off the rails because you made that comment about my mother, whatever that might be. Um, so it's important that we can identify the things that do work and the things that continue to hold us back. Well, what you're saying really resonates with me, Shari, on, on two levels. One, sort of that wisdom of understanding, okay, this is my automatic response, but is it really the response that I want to roll with? right? Because you can't change your reaction, but you can change what you do in response to it. So that's one. Um, and, and the second is just this sense of personal agency. You know, you mentioned how we're, we kind of work like machines and, and I agree with that. Um, and I would say, if you just go with the machine reaction, it, it's like, do you really have any agency anymore? Right? Like you're not really thinking about what you're doing. You're just doing what the, the patterns, the habits that, 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 you're, that have grown up over time to protect you, but you really don't have any control over yourself in, in a strange sort of way. You've lost agency to, um, you know, those sorts of habits or patterns. Does that make sense? Yes. And, but I would also say that um, you can always get it back. Yeah. It's kind of like creativity. So many people, it's, it's really heartbreaking, but so many people don't realize how creative they are. Mm-hmm. And I'm not only talking about, um, you know, artistic expression, but I'm talking about that as well. Uh, You know, every time you try and reach for something in a high cabinet and you realize, oh, I'm going to use my water bottle to nudge it down. Well, that's creative. Mm -hmm. But to have been denied as school systems in this country typically have, because there's no time for that because it's not the three R's. I mean, it's ridiculous. So once you have disconnected from your creative agency, mm-hmm. the fact that you have infinite ideas in every moment mm-hmm. and all of the things that have been invented um, were invented by a human being just like you, whether yeah. you develop 
necessity or inspiration or whatever that is. But we need to reconnect with ourselves and the powerful parts of our, not just our humanity, not just our mind, but our creativity. And within that creativity is our unique expression and our voice and our agency and our purpose. So if you ask yourself, what do you absolutely love in the world? And you follow that, you will, you will meet your creativity. Amazing. Amazing. So um, I like to uh, end uh, the, the, the questions or the conversation with, with the same question for each of my guests, right? So I'm going to share with you um, my definition of executive presence and would love to hear your perspective. What sort of one thing that people could do to improve their executive presence based on kind of what you understand in, in your area? So the definition of executive presence is the ability to inspire confidence that you can lead well in a given situation. So I'll say it one more time. It's the ability to inspire confidence that you can lead well in a given situation. So what's one thing that people can do to sort of move more towards that with respect to relational mindfulness or all the other great things that you've been learning and in, in the work that you do? I say humility. So especially because, look, you started this company, it's right in front of you. There are a lot of reasons for you to feel pretty confident, but none of us walks around with total confidence and none of us walks around with total awareness. But when you get yourself into a state of humility, which makes you receptive to everything around you, when you know everything, there's really no room for it to enter into you. So if you get into a state of humility and whether that comes from a personal practice of yoga or mindfulness or meditation or what, whatever that is for you, and there's no one way to do these things so that you kind of wake up each day and look at yourself in the mirror and you know just feel like grateful and blessed for the opportunity to put this work and this purpose out into the world and to ask yourself to remain humble and aware of other people's feelings, other ideas that may come from unusual places, and to just be open to brilliance wherever it may come from. What I love about that, Shari, is it allows you, as you said, to connect more to others, and it, it encourages others to connect more to you. And I think the best leaders have that two-way connection going as, as you described. Well, it's been a real pleasure talking to you on Executive Presence Morsels Collab. Um, for folks who've been intrigued by relational mindfulness, um, can you share a little bit more about how they might get in contact with you or learn more about the company and the initiatives that you care about? Thank you. So uh, the company is the narrativemethod.org. Um, you can go online and sign up for our free Zoom-ins. You can also get our card decks, um, which were designed for folks to create their own groups because uh, you don't need a license to use your humanity. Um, we also work with companies and universities um, to create the perfect programs to bring together your people, whether it's focusing on um, a department or the entire culture. And I would just say as a point of hope 
that we already know how to do these things. We already know if for no other reason, because of the times that we were treated disrespectfully. All you have to do is the opposite. So um, give us a call, go to our website. We would love to connect and help you get more connected to yourself and the people in your life. Thank you. Thanks, so Sherry. Much it's been a real pleasure and an honor to have you on Executive Presence Morsels. Thank you so much for the work you do and who you are. Thanks for listening. Can't wait to be with you again. Join us next time for another tasty Executive Presence Morsel.